0: This is podcast number 40. In podcast 40, we're going to be talking with Jack Perry of camp safety gear out of the U S in the podcast we do have some comments and some stuff comes up about tailing rope and the use of the clutch in a shark fin or double clutch type configuration and tailing rope. I just want to make it clear, regardless of the comments on the podcast that the manufacturer Harkin CMC, recommends that if you are using a double clutch or a shark fin technique, you need to have a rope tailor in case one of those devices loses the line. At Ronin, we teach to the manufacturer's recommendations. If you were taught previously, you may not have gotten this training as this particular recommendation has only come out in the last few months. Since that point, we have been teaching that. Some of the comments that were made in here in regards to uh, shark fitting or double clutching or pictures that you see of us online competing don't often have full context to them. If you look at stuff like uh, some of the photos, we can see the load or our rescuer is climbing. We only have a one person load on the system. There are times when rope becomes tangled or sheath milks a little bit, where even in competition, we have called for a tailor long before any of the manufacturers kind of recommended that we needed to do that. Basically, it's about being able to control the load, being able to see the load, um, your comfortability with the devices. Each device is different, and so we're just kind of pre this particular podcast with manufacturer's recommendation on double clutching is rope tailing there's some comments in here around that this is the manufacturer's recommendations however so without any further ado so we're into podcast number 40 and we have jack perry with us from camp and uh, how you doing this morning jack
1: doing great mark it's a good morning in colorado
0: right on And uh, this morning with Jack, we're going to be chatting a little bit about ice climbing. We're going to be chatting a little bit about Sprat. And we're going to be chatting a little bit about camp, the gear and the process to get stuff from in your head to an end user. So to start with, uh, Jack, for the people that don't know you, how about a little bit of background about who you are and how you got into the industry?
1: Sure. Um... It's funny. I was renewing my my TSA Global, and I had to look at all my dates for when I started it, and I was like, "Wow, I started at PMI in 2006. It's now 2020, 2020." So I'm like, "Well, wow, I got 14 years going on 15 years." So um, I, I I started with PMI. I used to work for PMI. A lot of people know me from that. I was the sales director at PMI for. You know, probably seven years. I was at PMI for almost nine years um, before I left PMI, and mainly rope company, NFPA, fire, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and was there as the rope access kind of started, you know, building. Um, then I jumped to Camp, um, be four years in April, and basically just they had no no presence for safety, and they hired me to come in and build the brand, uh, the safety brand, and uh, it's been a very, very good, uh, you know, thing for me in camp. I hope you uh, know it's just uh, worked out really, really well. So, but yeah, uh, almost 15 years in the industry, and uh, it's uh, it's a good life for sure.
0: Right on. Now, you're not just involved with sales. You've got some rope access and some rescue background. You've taken some training. I know that uh, a little bit of background in that, or a little bit yeah. of info in that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, sprat level one um certified and you know it's when you're a when you're sales guy it's tough to get the hour so mainly i just try to learn all the skills and, and level two and level three to have those skills um a lot of team rescue hands-on experience just with pmi i mean i was there when vrs kind of got started and there was nobody but tom wood and i so i became tom's assistant as we would go out and do rigging and do demos with tower companies and you know it's something where I mean over 14 years I've probably you know built a tear adapter had I probably got 500 plus hours with a tear adapter you know so but it's spread out over time so you forget it but um, tons of running classes I've always tried to come <laughs> to one of you guys' classes once a year and thank you, you guys have, kind of let me jump in and do some Ronin classes. And um, I try to do as many classes as I can uh, in trainings and conferences and seminars. And, you know, the Arbor world is something new to me. So I do a lot of Arbor stuff to learn what they do. So uh, I feel like, like I always say at a Ronin class, when it's introduction, I'm like, you know, um, I know a little about a whole lot. (laughs) So, but I'm not an expert at really much anything.
0: Well, well, I think we'll... To, you know, maybe uh, diffuse that rumor in a second when we start off with our <laughs> first topic here about ice climbing, because I understand you're a pretty good ice climber. You were, uh, you're featured in a video presentation not too long ago, weren't you?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I've been climbing, you know, I've been climbing for probably almost 20 years, and, um, you know, mainly in Colorado, and it's just something, you know just click with me i still rock climb i rock climb a lot but i kind of look as rock climbing as a train it's training for for ice climbing when ice ice climbing season comes and you know i if it's a good year i don't end up hurting myself because i seems like i always uh get injured somehow because i'm so competitive and you know i push it a little bit too much but uh you know i probably get 25 to 30 plus days of ice climbing you know during the season here in colorado and nice thing with the high elevation, I can usually start climbing in early October and climb all the way into April. So, um, but yeah, I did a video project with one of my partners who's a filmmaker, a photographer, um, does a lot of freelance work for a lot of big people. I mean, he helped with uh, Google Earth stuff in Nepal. He's a god in Nepal. So he goes, Hey, you want to do a video about an old guy climbing and training, training? I'm like, sure. So, you know, we did a project two years ago and uh, did a lot of filming and uh, kind of showing how I train and kind of how I look at ice climbing. And uh, the, the cool thing was, is we got it on a, you know, uh, a company's Instagram page and then, then rock and ice picked it up. And that's where it kind of picked up is it was on rock and ice's page. And, you know, they had a little thing there about, uh, you know, 59 year old man and, and with, with relentless stoke. And so I come like, like, wow, I like that. So I like, changed my Instagram handle to, to, to relentless stoke. And, uh, we had a good time. It was, uh, you know, I had to, I had to lead a lot of steep ice, uh, back to back to back, but, but, you know, that's, it's good for you. To, and it's the more, the, the more you lead the steep stuff, the more you relax and get more relaxed and more relaxed. And um, it's uh, like I say, it's everything's in your head. And when you're ice climbing, everything is in your head. So,
0: now what's the, I've only ice climbed a few times, like I could count on one hand. I've rock climbed a fair bit, but what's the. Preference of ice over rock for you. Like people are listening. What's the catch? What's the?
1: You, you what's know, it's cool? funny. I, every time I meet somebody new and we start talking, and I and they and they ask me, they just go. I always tell them that you know trad climbing scares me, and they're like, how does trad climbing scare you? And you're an ice climber, and I'm like, well, you just get you know you. The more you do it, you get used to the medium. Uh, you start understanding ice, and you start reading the ice as you climb, and. Uh, it's just, you start getting more and more comfortable. And a lot of times I just have to stop and go, dude, you need to put a screw in. You're like 30 feet above the last one, you know, and you just get so comfortable because like I tell people, you know, if you have new modern tools and, you know, camp has some great tools, the extremes, if you have a new modern, modern tool. Air, air, you know, once you swing that tool and stick it, you're holding on to a five, seven jug. So when you're climbing ice, every the the good tools are five seven jugs the whole way you just better make sure that five seven jug is you know is solid before you you move on it you know and uh you know the feet are different compared to rock because you don't have the feel that you have with rock shoes but you slowly start getting the feel as you get better and better and again you've got you know you can i can i can go i want to hold here and i want a foothold here we're in rock Usually there's only one way to make the move a lot of times or two ways to make the moves and either you can do it or you can't with ice. I can change the line I can make the move where I want it. But, you know, as they say, you know, the three rules in ice climbing are don't fall, don't fall and don't fall. So sure. you don't want to fall when you're climbing ice. There's, you know, you're, there's, there's, things that stick through your body all around you. So, um, uh, But once you kind of get that out of your head you just don't even think about falling but you need to be prepared if something happens Uh, sometimes the belayer is in more danger than the climber because of the stuff coming down but uh you know part of it is a medieval thing too you're swinging weapons (laughs) (laughs) so so it's you know it's kind of like medieval i mean if you're having a rough day and you go out and you know do four or five pitches of ice and man you get to swing those sharp tools and it's just something medieval almost about it. It just kind of clicks with me. and But I take people out who are hardcore rock climbers, I mean, 512 sport climbers, and they can't even finish two pitches. It's so physical. But it's a technique thing. It's just like rock climbing. I mean, I can't climb 512, but, you know, the 512 guy can't climb easy WI-4. Because it's just so physical, and they don't know the technique, so they just completely wear themselves out, and they they're sketched out too. So, so it's uh, it just it's just something that always clicked with me, and uh, you know, it's it's my it's it's my happy place. It's it's my rope access. So okay, you know, let's yeah. go out there in the mountains with one rope and it's nine mil, and let's move fast and you know have a good time and you know swing tools.
0: So there's one question I have for you, and a lot of people that listen here will understand the rock climbing, the you know Yosemite Decimal System, but the ice. I mean, ice changes no matter which route you're taking. It can be the same sheet. It could be just a different line. So how do you rate an ice climb? Like, what's the uh, what's the Yosemite Decimal System for an ice climb?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, and that's a big debate in the in the ice world, you know, because they kind of rate things. Uh, they don't really have, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, grade one through six or WI water ice one through six. It's really not a one. Um, you know, it's more of a, two, you know, if they say it's, you know, water ice two or grade two, it's super low angle. Then you're just kind of walking up at caning with your tools over little bulges and things like that. You move into, you move into three, it starts getting steeper. You know, and it, and, it, and three can be dead vertical in places, but it might um, you know only be 10 or 15 feet. So just because it's dead vertical in 15 feet, it's not really WI4. Um, and it is. It's based off conditions. I mean, if it's uh, if it's if it's soft, and every stick is a you know one swing, and we call it a hero stick. You just make one little flick of the wrist, and the the, the tool goes in, and it's like solid to pull a truck off of. And your feet are good and soft and spongy, and you're climbing, you know, almost like styrofoam. You can just go up things with hardly any effort, you know. And so, no matter how steep it is, and so that could be easy WI three, but then all of a sudden you go somewhere where it's been 15 below zero for four or five days, and that styrofoam becomes like brittle, and every and you're taking four or five or six swings to get a good stick breaking a lot of ice out around you um, and it just all of a sudden you start getting more physical and things become you you start getting sketched out because you can't get a good stick and you're working so hard and you really got to keep your tools far apart because if you put one swing one tool and it finally sticks and then you swing close to that one you can dinner plate or bring all the ice around both tools off and you're coming off. Um, so, you really have to read the ice, read the conditions uh, when you're climbing. And I've, I've started up climbs and started up one line, and it just gets worse and worse. And I've, you know, it's like, okay, you know, hard right, hard left, let's get off of this line and slowly move into something that might be a little bit better. So, it's, it's just kind of subjective to when you get there. I um, I've gotten on things and you might go, oh, wow, that's WI-5. Well, it might be WI-5 for 30 feet because it's dead vertical in your face. And and again, it's a you know, is it been climbed a lot? Is it like climbing a ladder? Are there lots of steps and hooks? And hooks are basically where people climb the same line over and over. So everybody uses the same tool placement and it becomes a hollowed out hook where you just kind of hook it like you're hooking over a ladder. And then, then you're stepping up a little step that everybody's kicked. So a lot of climbs are super steep, but it's just walking up a ladder, um, you know. But if you have to make the footholds and make the the pick holes, then the grade goes up right there off of that. So early season climbing on on a climb is usually way harder than late season because it's been gro- we call it it's been grooved out. There's a groove in it where everybody's been climbing the same groove, and it gets much easier. But a lot of times in that area, it's it hard to protect because all the ice has been beat away and there's no place to put good pro in. And, and that's kind of the crux of ice climbing. Stopping and putting in a screw takes five times as long as putting a cam in. Or, you know, you clip a bolt, basically you stop, you pull the draw off, clip. You clip the bolt in maybe three seconds pop the rope in another second. So you're you clipped your pro sport climbing. Three to five seconds and ice climbing. You've got to stop and you've got to hang and you've got to put a screw in that can take. two three minutes sometimes maybe more based off the ice. So that's where the they always say the crux is stopping and putting in screws because that's where you start getting sketched out and pumped out so. But it's uh, it's fun stuff for sure.
0: Right uh, now with rescue, I take it there's a whole different world there as well. Pulling someone off an ice face, you're going to have to actually get above them and put some screws in, or try to find something at the top of the run, at the top of the pitch, in order to get above them, in order to pull them out of there.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. If you're going to, I mean, if you're on a multi-pitch or even a you know a big single pitch, if you're on something say 125 feet, you know, and, and the guy falls and he you know he gets knocked out or a piece of ice hits him in the head then now it's a situation where, you know, you've got to, you know, get out of the, get out of the belay. And it's like, okay, can I walk to the top and come down or do I do now, do I have a second rope to get up to him or do I have enough rope to lower him to the ground? If it's a multi-pitch, you know, again, it's how much rope's in play. Can I lower him back to the belay? Or if I can't now I've got to tie it off and then i got to figure out what to do. You know, normally on multi-pitches, um, and and there's not a lot of big multi pitches in Colorado and down in your Ray and Silverton area, there's four, six pitch climbs that I've been on. And we always climb those with, with two ropes. So we'll use doubles or twins. And then we've got two, you know, two seventies with us to wrap off. And if, you know, if something goes bad, yeah, the leader's on two, but now I've kind of got a rope. I could maybe actually like almost, you know, solo up that rope with a pressic or something to get to the guy if I had to build a system lock in maybe bring those ropes up and try to lower him down but you got to remember you know if it's good ice you can do a belay with two screws you I mean if I was going to if I had to lower a guy I would definitely probably want three screws in there for me and then for me trying to set some system up to lower him but you know you hope you don't get in those situations but you definitely need to kind of have some gear on your harness to do it and the more I've been around rescue the more I keep basic gear on my harness a couple of pressics uh, a couple of T blocks um, you know a micro traction or two just in case something goes wrong and I always carry two belay devices maybe an ATC and a plate or two ATC's because I can double up those ATC's and handle a heavy load so, and pressing for backup. So it's uh re- the rescue world has definitely opened my eyes up about that. Maybe think about it. And I do carry gear that I know I could lower a buddy down, um, and and even almost a two-person load if I had a good place to do it with the gear I've got on my harness.
0: Well, right on. I mean, and that's I guess you know, prepping for success is the way forward.
1: Oh and- yeah, for sure. I mean, it's you know, it's. Uh, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you don't want to think about the bad things, but you definitely need to be prepared. I mean, you know, what is that? Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. You exactly. know, so it's one of those things where just kind of like, hey, have some pressics, have a, you know, have a pulley or have, uh, you know, micro traction something. You can, you know, build a system to lower a guy down because it's so easy to get hit in the head with a chunk of ice. And even and that's the thing is is people don't realize when you're leading, you know you're swinging a tool above your head, you know two and a half feet. I've been hit in the face by ice numerous times. Had to see it coming off, drop my head, and have a big chunk hit me in the helmet. I've been hit in the mouth, busted my lip many times, busted my nose many times. You know I've had a tool pull and and the and the pick go across the sunglasses I'm wearing. Um, and I know friends who've actually, actually been had their nose broken by a big chunk and almost been knocked out, leading from ice coming down on top of them. So it's a little bit different. You know, it's almost like you you're climbing rock. You grab you grab a hold and maybe it's, you check it if it moves. You need to move somewhere else. With ice, you don't really know that because you swing, 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 and then all of a sudden a chunk comes down the size of a helmet and hits you in the face or in the head. And then two feet, you go, oh, it's only two feet. Two feet of vertical and a 15-pound chunk of ice hurts.
0: I could imagine, and then the belayer down below you is just hiding.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, and then pretty much, you know, the belayer needs to know, and you're, that's the biggest thing is trying to set up the belay. I'm more worried about where we're going to set the belay up uh, than almost the line you're going to lead because you got to be out of, you got to be out of the zone because stuff's coming down. It's going to yeah. come down, and you never know how big. You know, I've sent chunks down like the size of microwaves you know so you just kind of you, you have to read it and kind of know and if you honestly if there's a big chunk that's going to come off you, if you know it's going to come off while you're on the on the flow you should holler at your belayer and you should send it because if you don't the next person you know could not know it's there and you know hurt somebody with it so usually loose ice we're sending it down and getting the trying to get the line and, and get the ice uh, flow clean and safe for other people and the second coming up, if it's a multi pitch, for sure. Right on. Well, so it's, changing it's fun stuff, oh. and you know, we're gonna we're gonna go uh, next year if you guys come down to Denver for Eiders. I'd be into that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, you know, all you gotta do is bring your boots and warm clothes, and you know, we'll go through the camp warehouse and I'll outfit you guys with anything you need, and we'll go up. Uh, you know, we'll go up and climb uh, after Eiders is over next year.
0: I'm into that hundred percent. I'll book that one on the calendar. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Right so on. yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, I, I live for it. It's what I do. It's, uh, you know, I hope to do it for as long as I can and, you know, be safe and, and have fun. And I try not to get too I try not to scare myself too bad.
0: Right. Oh, changing gears a bit here to the industrial side. You just came back from the SPRAC conference um, I missed it. I had a choice of going to Japan or going to California. I chose Japan.
1: Uh, I, I would have chose two. If you asked me do, which one you want to go to, Jack, we'll we'll bring you to Japan. It's an easy decision.
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we said Kevin to California and he did well there. But uh what did you think about the about the conference? Is there new stuff coming out that people should be aware of? Uh what have you got here? Yeah,
1: um it, it was a good it was really good. I mean, I try to go to i I've been going to Spratt for many, many years and now that i'm kind of got camp i need to be there to represent camp and you know I, I know so many people in the industry that have you know known for so many years and you know it was in cali which was nice uh last year it was in cancun which was even better but uh <laughs> you know uh i don't know how much work got done in cancun but it was uh it cancun was great but uh you know CMC hosted it. Uh, so CMC was a great host. I know a lot of the CMC people over the years have come and gone. but um, I didn't do the, I didn't get to do the tour of CMC. Um, they had a limit of how many people they could go. and I felt I mean, I felt like with CMC, where you you know the manufacturing they do is mainly soft goods. I've seen that. I know I, a, a sewing department is kind of a sewing department um so i kind of had other things i wanted to do but um it was a great conference i'd say i don't know 150 people maybe it was pretty big uh yeah probably 150 100. um you know good uh the main sprat business talking about a lot of the new you know just going through the new level one things and level two stuff and things that are talking about adding to this and that and you know they've combined a couple of committees so it was that part's kind of good um then you have then they have the demo vendor day which is always uh good so they had a great little place to do the demos um pretty much went through some of the changes for the pickoffs and stuff like that for uh level one and just talked about some of the different scenarios uh and showed a couple things of course the clutch got uh used in uh yeah, the, the All the CMC guys and pretty much everybody trolling all those guys doing demos, they all use clutches as their personal descender for pick-off, so that was interesting. I've never, I've yet to get to put one on my harness and go over the side of a building, but I did spend five days uh, in Calgary with you guys uh, and learned the clutch and team rescue pretty uh, pretty well. So, um, Richard Delaney was there, uh, did some some different presentations we talked about uh, which was interesting we talked about basically uh, descending off of a two tension system who needs a backup I've got two Giants I've got two clutches I'm sharp pinning them down realistically I've got a two tension system Um, I don't need the backup so that was discussed and shown and talked about as well which was interesting Um, the vendor stuff uh uh, uh, camp chose to not do it this year it's um i won't go into details about that um but we just kind of chose not to do it um it's something it's only a few hours Um, most people you see the same stuff over and over again the same people i just kept a a few trinkets in my pocket and kind of showed them over beers but um Anything new? Um, Not really. I mean, of course, everybody wants to see the clutch. The clutch was there. Uh, People got to put their hands on it. Um, You know, uh, Sterling was there. Uh, CMC, of course, had their booth. Uh, ISC was there. Uh, Petzl had a few things, but not really much. Mainly the Maestro uh, is what they were showing. Um, Yates was there. Blue Water was there. some other people, um, but nothing, you know, nothing really new on the horizon, you know, for camp, uh, the biggest new product for us is the Jiro. I pretty much had a couple of Giro's in my hand cause they'll fit in your pocket, uh, show the Giro's to some, uh, influential people, I guess I'd say, who, you know, take things and figure out crazy rigging ways to use anything. So, uh, looked at some Giro's, um, Showed the Jiro a lot. Uh, of course, gave Richard one to go out and play with. Um, but it was it was good overall. There was some interesting stuff. Um, got to put my hand on this uh, Scalatech Cirrus, um, which I thought was super interesting. I know you ended up getting a couple, I think, to go to Japan.
0: Yeah, we got one for uh, Japan.
1: For Japan, and I actually texted you going, "What do you think?" And you're like, "Let it, let me give it a run." Um, But I didn't get to put it on a harness. I pretty much just, you know, played with it on some rope bags up and down. Uh, Richard went through the features with me. It's a a unique device. It's pretty interesting. I mean, I don't want to plug the competition. But, you know, as you guys know, I'm pretty, you know, unbiased. If something's good, I'll say it's good. Um, You know, I use a multitude of people's products in my personal kit. It's not just all camp. Um, And I'm kind of picky. And if I think something's better, I'll, I'll use it um so and uh i think something like that gives you more respect in the industry if you're just not oh we, camps the bass pestles the bass everything else is junk so uh but overall the conference is great good presentations the last day um tom did the presentation about the uh the rescue in georgia uh, sean couldn't make it he's down there working all working like a crazy man but um Pretty much that presentation pretty much blew everybody away because it's first time you really kind of heard all the. Details maybe you didn't hear from all the national news and things like that and a lot of photos. So that was a great uh, a great presentation, but you know, mainly it's just looking at, you know, they're, they're looking outside the box, you know, with uh, basically a you know, I'm going over the side of this building and I'm going to inspect this 500 foot and I'm going to have, you know. I'm going to be using two Druid pros. You know, I don't have to climb back up. All I got to do is go straight down. And so that was very interesting. I want to, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes in the next year or two. If that gets, you know, that becomes a norm, especially for say building inspectors who are just dropping down lines in buildings um, and they're never climbing back up and they just put on, you know, once they get used to shark finning, they just hook in. I mean, honestly, I, I kind of feel better. Running two devices and the, both lines are tension instead of having just that, ASAP or Goblin or Red or whatever just kind of flicking around there in my face. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes in the in this Sprat world.
0: It's nice to see some of the cross pollinations of rescue disciplines where people seem to be mature enough now in the industry to look at you know rescue or rope access or climbing and see decent ideas from another you know rope industry and say hey can we use that in our industry will that make sense in what we're doing is it safer than what we're doing and it's really nice to see you know the maturity and everybody to look at different tools and different ideas and different ways of rigging to make it safer for everyone overall
1: you No, know, i think that's i think that's uh, you know hitting it right on the head because there's something you know when I got in this industry, you know, 14 years ago, I was a climber. Um, and then I had to learn NFPA and what fire guys did. And this is the way we do it. And we're using a break rack and we're using tandem pressics and you know, we're, we're wrapping three and pulling two and we're tying water knots. And this is the way it's been. And we're using twelve five That's basically like a cable and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, that we can do anything with this system and it's you know as it's morphed over the years and especially I think in the last probably maybe five years we start seeing fire department rescue teams wanting to have a you know one or two guys on the on the team being Sprat certified that can bring those different techniques in you know and it's something and uh, we're seeing that across the board you get tower people taking Sprat classes um you know you're seeing sprat techniques you know into you know team rescue techniques i mean hey what happens if i gotta go over the side do i know how to climb my climb back up you know and so it's something where i think it's a great thing and you know you guys are out been doing grimp you're seeing all the different stuff that's why i love taking your class because i can go to a, you know one of your advanced classes and see things you guys learn from europe changing this out changing that out um and, and, and it's something that I look at it and go, wow, I can take some of this into the mountains with me um, and, and understand a different rescue situation in the mountains with just dynamic ropes, skinny 9 mil ropes. And all I need is a couple of things, and, and I can do a rescue. I could probably do a pick-off if I had to of another climber, you know, understanding how things work. But uh, I think it's been good, and I think there are, there are people are uh, receiving it a lot better because uh, I think some of the old guard is – is has gone away to, uh, you know, ice fishing and, and the new guard is, uh, you know, out there lean and mean, trying to really keep packing that toolbox with all types of tricks that they can pull out. But a part of it is, it's like, man, I go to these classes and I'm like, now nah, I got to learn something else. You know, <laughs> It's like, holy cow, my brain's going freaking crazy now. What not was that? And how'd you rig that thing? And, you know, I'm getting ready to do the ITRA training in like three weeks and I've got the the, the, the scorecard, I'll say, printed out. I'm like, holy cow, I got to go down this to the scorecard going, I got that, I got that. What the hell is this? You know, so, uh, you know, and, and as, as a salesperson, I don't get to go out and train every week or go out and practice with the team or, you know, walk out in the training facility and go, I'm going to spend five hours doing, you know, pickoffs with rescue Randy. It's, it's hard for me to do. So I have to sit here in my office and have a piece of rope around a a leg of my stand-up desk. And I have like 20 knots, you know, on YouTube and I'm practicing a knot right here in my office while I'm looking at emails to try to get the dial in you know a running bowling or you know whatever it might be i'm not out there tying it every day and i come back from an event and go like what was that sheet bin thing how'd that work you know and so it's uh, but it's awesome that uh we're getting that across the board um and i think it's a great thing and it's just going to keep continuing to change and the evolution of it. it's just going to keep going and going lighter as you know lighter everything yeah you know it's uh and more and as you know more fire departments are like hey we're gonna bring in 11 mil The heck with 12.5 um but you know that's that's harder than a lot but uh me i'd be happy with non-mil non-mil static and let's go to town
0: yeah it's funny you mentioned about you know that almost overwhelming amount of knowledge now where people seem to be hitting saturation It was we did a I had to do a presentation at the end of Grimp in Japan. And one of the questions at an open forum, one of the questions from one of the Japanese was, what workbook should I look at? Or what, you know, manual should I look for? Because things are changing so fast. I buy one and a week later, a month later, a year later, it's out of date. And my answer to him was, there were six of us on the panel. We all had a slightly different take, but my answer to him was, you got to learn principles at this point because, The techniques for the principles are changing, but the principles themselves seem to be pretty much not set in stone, but they're pretty hard and fast rules at this point in regard to redundancy and whistle stops. And, you know, some of the other principles that have been out there now in rope rescue and even pushing into the climbing, the rope access world. And the techniques, you know, you need to know them, but it's those principles and how to get to the end goal seems to be, you know, the new training mantra.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, physics is physics, um, you know, and gravity is gravity. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's spot on. I mean, it's like, you know, gravity is always going to be there and the physics of this are always going to be there, but now we've learned new techniques to kind of, you know, take some of the danger out of it or or whatever it might be so and those techniques keep evolving and evolving and evolving you know and and again everybody's got an opinion i mean one person you know when when i was at petzel at the road trip the other week and they had their little symposium after the road trip comp you know they showed this uh, arborist Reeve that an arborist came up with for rescuing arbor guys out of a tree up in up in montreal and he was basically using four micro tractions in a reeve type system. Well they just took protractions and put those in there, you know, and built a reeve with protra with, you know, protractions connected to swivel opens. And yeah, if you're having a if there's an attendant there, he's got to work the cam to release it for going down on the in the reeve. But then once he gets there, he can just let go and now it's progressive capture in the breath right there on the reeve as they go up and it's something that Petzl is going to kind of sign off on you know and and, and this they definitely says it's, it's for a unique situation with minimal gear maybe um but it was uh, it was pretty interesting I mean I'll have to say Petzl is starting to really open up about um what what stuff can be used and how it can be used and you know camp's getting that way I have people asking me all the time can I do this this and this and so I just I'll email R&D and say, hey, a guy wants to do this, and they'll, you know, we're so thorough over there, and we have such a good, R and I mean, Camp Italy, the R&D department is the largest square footage of everything besides a warehouse, and it has, and, and there's more people that work in R&D than probably all the other departments combined, so we're all about R&D, testing and I can the nice thing is is I can just say hey can you test this for me and a week later they've done all the drop tests, all the pull tests whatever and send me the information back uh, and they'll say yeah the customer can do that the customer can do this um, And a lot of times we'll just say yeah that's fine but make sure they you know make sure they run that you know 9.5 mil through that device and do some basic testing before they just go out and go over the side of a cliff. Or a building so um, I think all the manufacturers everybody you know us pestle you know ISC other people you know they're they're open to you know looking at what people come up with like you guys at Ronan or somebody or or some Arbor people um, and you've been around some Arbor people I'm around Arbor people all the time those guys are you know they're like magicians they just come up with stuff you know off the cuff it's just like I would have never thought of that and it works um, but they are in a different world, you know, there's, there's uh, they can use one rope and they can, you know, do whatever they want, but they can really just come up with some crazy stuff. So, but uh, the, the, I think the manufacturers are more open to it and looking at the testing and like, Hey, yeah, well, we're okay with that. You can clip an ASAP to a rope and the guy can lead climb and you just let the, you just let the, the rope go through the ASAP. You know, if he falls, the ASAP will catch him and you know what, you know, three inches these days with all the testing everybody's been doing so who knows
0: no and it's been great with the manufacturers Um, you know yourself Petzl CMC ISC we're we're playing with a lot of different things and we get a lot of support from the manufacturers in regards to that and uh, we definitely appreciate it it's it's what's allowing the industry to move forward is the manufacturer is providing that support rock exotica. There's another one with equipment so that we can actually test, trial, break, um, these sorts of things. Um, yeah, so it's definitely appreciated. On that note, then moving on to camp and the manufacturing process, you got a device like the gyro, and thank you, we sent us two. They're sitting on my desk. I just haven't been in my office in a month because I've been down a shot <laughs> show and then over to Japan. But yeah um now i saw that device i don't know a year year and a half before it was actually released so let's talk about when you when you have a picture in your head and say hey this is something we need to build what kind of time frame are you looking at by the time it becomes a product like what are those steps
1: that's that's a great question i mean you know the nice thing is you know when i when i came to camp um you know when i they flew me to italy to interview and um you know part of it was they wanted me to you know help with product development for north america because you know they're they're a european company selling into europe the middle east asia um, there really was no camp safety you know or the industrial gear represented in north america when i came on and part of it was is helping them with R and you know taking products that they already had and could we turn this product into you know, a product that would sell in North America, and would it can we make it meet the standard that it has to meet? As we know, most of us ANSI, we're not really an NFPA company. We we don't make any type of tools that really work with 125. Yeah, you can run 125 through the through the turbo products, um, but it's pretty tight squeezing a 125 into a turbo chest. Um, but it'll work. But uh, you know the. You know, like the Jiro, yeah, I think it was, it'll be almost two years ago when they showed it to me. And I did a video of it and sent it straight to you while I'm sitting there in Italy going, hey, look at this thing. What do you think? You know, and uh, realistically, it was kind of a done deal then. You know, they just had to kind of like tweak a few things. And, you know, the, the testing process just takes a lot longer than people realize. You have to kind of get in the queue and, waiting for your product to be tested and it's like you gotta be kidding me you're gonna break 20 harnesses or 50 helmets or whatever it might be but that's you know that's part of the part of the gig so but honestly with the Jiro, I mean that was kind of just a a prototype they showed me and realistically um, I got you guys a couple back last summer I think like June so I think within like less than a year I had Three or four samples sent to me that I sent you guys one. I sent some Arbor guys one we're just trying to look at what we could do with it and um, It was pretty much finished then um, It was more of what can you do with it? What can people think of and then just kind of getting the, the the You know the mrq of how many has to be made and then getting all the testing done making sure it passes the EN and we did ANSI to te- ANSI's certify it um, but uh, honestly I would say that product only took like a year and a half. Um, and that's pretty That's that's pretty quick because uh, I've been with other companies and it took five or six or seven years to come out with something. And it is kind of how complicated it is. I mean, the good thing for me is, you know, the harness market's really good for me in North America. And that's kind of I feel I have a good good idea about harnesses. So I've been helping develop a lot of harnesses since I got here. And, uh, you know, and the nice thing is, is I'll just say, hey, Italy, can you do this, this and this? And it's pretty easy to change. You know, some goods are a lot easier to add and take things off than than hardware. So harnesses, um, you know, if it's a current harness and I want to change a few things, a lot of times you don't have to do a lot of research. I can have a I can take a current harness, tell Italy what I want to do with it, talk to some people, do some demoing with it, and I can have that new harness in production. In a year or less. Um, the no, new had, GT
0: ANSI for instance was that kind of like a year turnaround from the old one? Yeah, the, the,
1: yeah, yeah the, the, like the newest GT ANSI um, with the new ST with the with the new ANSI STS buckles which I think you might have you know, I got you guys yeah. a couple y'all were do y'all still have a lot some of the, the old GTs in your uh, you know in your uh, standby rescue kits but when I, that, the, G, the GT ANSI as it stands right now, the one sitting in my office, I think that is the third or fourth generation of that harness in four years. Because when I came on, it was already here. I, I, it was grandfathered in, there, here's the harness, Jack, here's our ANSI harness. And then I kept, you know, saying, how about, can we do this? Can we do this? And we kept kind of changing a few things, changing a few things. And then uh, they said, hey, you know, is it. I said, hey, can we take those European STS buckles um, and can we make those ANSI buckles? And that took a little while. And, you know, just re just getting the cert on those buckles can be four or five thousand Euros. So wow. you have to put that stuff in the budget. Um, you know, and I'm going through that right now on a couple of things and I have to pick and choose what I want what I want to, to spend my Euros on. <laughs> you know, uh, Italy kind of goes. Here's option uh, A, here's option B, here's option C. We recommend option C, you know, so I have to kind of go through it and go, no, I think it's worth it in the long run. And the nice thing with those guys, they trust me. Um, and uh, if I say no, I'm willing to give up this project to move this one ahead and make it happen now, they'll be like, okay, you you, ch- you get to choose Jack. Because there are numerous projects for North America going on right now over the next five years. And um I have a lot to say about what project can jump another project if I feel there's a need for it, Um, and which is is the relationship is so good with R&D, and it's something I never had before, and and I really try to do all my homework with those guys, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it's something where with the GT, it it could be like a year, because you have to look the thing is, is when you're doing harnesses, you you can't go, okay, I'll take that harness, and just maybe 25, and let's see if it sails doesn't work that way I have to commit to 500 harnesses per size so when I said can you make the GT in black they're like not a problem but you have to take a (laughs) thousand And so there's where it get the pressure becomes pressures on me because I have to commit to a thousand of those harnesses in my budget and think I can sell them. And if if we change something on another harness, and it's my idea and my decision, and I have there or even a helmet, I have to take, you know, a thousand units. Uh, if there's two sizes, it's five it's 500 per unit, you know. And uh, so it's 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 a really exciting thing, but it does put the pressure on me because I've got to really, you know, can I sell this harness? And the black GT ANSI has been a killer. Uh, in 2019, uh, I still sell a lot of the red ones because fire guys like red for their right. you know, confined space or standby. But the rope access techs, they love black. As as somebody said to me at Spratt, it's tactical yeah. it's black.
0: I think so we have seven cool. of them, so I can't you say know, anything. <laughs> so,
1: so we're going to throw in that tack and then we're going to throw in COOL. So, t- you know, tactical. cool. And I'm like, yep, yeah, that's that's it, because all my kits are all black. I know you guys are all black. I saw your black cask, and I was like, oh, I need a black cask helmet. Even though I love camp helmets, cask is is <laughs> a nice helmet. So I'm like, you hey, can thank
0: Damian for that helmet. If, if buy, who buys a small helmet? Like really? Yeah.
1: What was up with that? What was up with those kitty helmets you guys had over there? I was like, uh, you said because uh, I when well, Damian ordered. I'm like, well maybe there's a girl who's going to be the you know the litter the the victim and she needs a small because when he got those when he got the helmets i'm like okay he knows what he needs not me and then it was fun funny when uh you know general Patton can ken put that thing on and saluted you know yeah. sent me a photo of it i'm like you know good for you gunny you know that, yeah, that, exactly. that, that you need two of those welded together to cover up that that melon but uh so, but yeah back you know it's it, uh, you know it's something where some stuff can take you know, they'll show it to me and then it's a year later before it goes from a three D printer to a you know, kind of a CNC machine like copy of it. Then they've gotta do more testing. The, the biggest thing about Italy is they're just they're so thorough, they they pretty much would try not to put anything out to a done deal till it's almost been way over tested, engineered, designed. Uh, and we all make mistakes and something happens, but, um, you know, it's something a lot of times you never think of a scenario that's going to happen. And then there's some, you know, trainer or some guy gets it and goes, Hey, I just did this to it. And they go, Oh, we never thought about that. But luckily with a few little niches we've had, it's been really simple fixes, um, and stuff's back out, but you know, they're really, uh, they're really perspective to what I had to say, um, on stuff. I mean, um, so we'll see. I'll be back over there in October, and I have a list that I'm going to pound them with <laughs> <laughs> huh. of stuff. The stuff I need, and I know some. There's some super cool things coming that um, you know. I'm like, so when's that coming? When's that coming? And but we have to remember, and what people need to realize, you know, um, you know, we're we're like Petzl. I mean, we have an outdoor division, and the outdoor skus are outnumber the safe. The safety skus are gigantic but the outdoor SKUs are huge. So, you know, one one engineer might be working on on 10 different safety products, but he's also working on 25 different outdoor products at the same time. Yeah. So it's that juggle and the budget and the sales of what kind of bumps, what product. Um, and, you know, you get something and you think you've got it, like I, we had a product that was supposed to come out this year. I won't say what it is. And I saw it, I looked at it, they showed it to me. I'm like, that's great, it's a done deal. I'll take a thousand right now. And as soon as you can make them. And they're like, okay, I think we're gonna do it. And as soon as they sent it off to get the quote for manufacturing, there was no way it was gonna come in at a competitive price against the, against the competition. So we had to junk the whole design and go back to the drawing board and figure out how to redesign it so that we could get the production costs down where we could come to market and compete against the competition. Um, and so stuff like that just in, you know, it just happens and you gotta go back to the drawing board, but uh, you know it's I come up with something good. and I'm like, oh, I gotta wait a year and a half. They're like, yeah, sorry, Jack. And Honestly, the long picture a year and a half is not bad. We all know how long it took the clutch to come out, but it's a super, super, you know, uh, intricate design product and same with the the Maestro, you know, so soft goods are easier. I'll say hard goods, rope tools, uh, devices uh, are way more complicated and take a lot longer. And you just have to kind of, like, bear with it.
0: Just kind of grin and bear it until it shows up and just work through the kinks, right?
1: Yeah, you pretty much do. And, the, you know, and the nice thing is, is, you know, most, you know, we come out with something. And if a year later we might say, hey, we can tweak this and save a couple of, you know, uh, you know, A couple of grams here grams there make it a little bit lighter make it a little bit stronger and that's the biggest thing about with camp they're always looking to how can we make it better how can we make it better and but um, you know I'll have to say the Italians have been good to me and I'm pretty loyal to them so
0: uh, and you guys have the best t-shirts in the industry
1: (laughs) hey it's uh, you know a lot of those t-shirts are we have the you know, there's Camp USA, and I'm, I'm part of Camp USA, so we have our, we do our own t-shirts here, and so the outdoor guys come up with some crazy stuff, which is pretty cool, um, and then Italy comes out with theirs, and we just kind of shake our head, like, we're not wearing that Italian Euros t-shirt, <laughs> that thing's <laughs> terrible, we're gonna make our own t-shirts, uh, with, uh, with our style, but, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they they finally came out with beanies, so they have beanies in Europe. The problem is they all have those puff balls, and I'm like, I'm just going to order a 500 and cut the puff ball off every one of them and take them to this take them to my events. Cause <laughs> not many, not many Americans want puff balls on their beanies.
0: It hurts underneath your helmet too much.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. You know, but I think it's more of a stylist a yeah. stylist thing for sure. But uh, no, it's. Uh, you know, product development is a big thing. And, uh, you know, you, you've been, you're, you're deeply involved. You've been involved. You guys have been involved with a lot of product development through CMC and other stuff y'all worked on. And, um, you know, you do a lot of testing for, for, uh, for us at camp and a lot of testing for other companies out there, Rock Exotica. So, you know, it's something where, you know, the engineer can only, is only so good, but the engineer doesn't have, you know, most, almost all engineers don't have the actual on rope experience rigging experience that other people like your company has. So, you know, we're looking at you guys. I look, I look at the people I've known for 10 or 10 plus years who I respect go, Hey, can you give me a run on this? And, 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 as you know, with me be brutally honest because it doesn't do me any good to say, this is the greatest thing ever. And then you go like, wow, that thing sucked. <laughs> um, but I don't want, I want to tell Jack that cause I like Jack. Uh, I'm like, no, dude. If it sucks, tell me it sucked. Um, I get, and and why, so I can go back to Italy, and go. Here's the scenario, and here's why they don't like it. Can we change this? And and Italy's good about that. They 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 send it to me. I send it out. They send it to their people in Europe, all over, and we try to get a you know a good perspective from a bunch of different people. Because as you know, Europeans use things a lot different than we do.
0: Absolutely.
1: I, and there's a great story. I'm, I'm reading through an email before you came on about the Giro and some other things that the Giro could turn into. And I'm going through the thread and a guy was talking about he was doing inspections on some big sailboat or some big boat. And he was he would cl- he clipped the Giro with one leg to his ventral and then he ran two <laughs> descenders off the other two legs. And that was that was what he was using, and I was like, I don't think that would go over here in America to have basically a descent, two descenders, which is your full lifeline, no backup, and you're running both of them basically off one connection point on your ventral. And I just kind of laughed and went like, Okay, it's Europe. Um, <laughs> it's Europe, you know, yeah. You, you know, so. <laughs> you threw a beater into one clip in your bench ones and, and put uh, you know two druid pros one on each one and you sharpen them you're really on one connection point you know for both lines uh, but over there maybe you know you know more than me but I was just kind of laughing about that uh, and said yeah that won't work over here
0: yeah there's the odd thing over there that changes up and uh, it's certainly good though to get those perspectives Cause it, it opens up other thought processes where, you know, to have the G-Row and be able to shark fit it. I look at it and go throw an ASAP off your uh, ventral, click it on the top or start off your sternal, run that off your ventral. And now you don't have to click one. You've made your points here, but it's much easier to operate the devices when they're in line like that. And when they're together. So when yeah. you look like what Sprats doing now with like two clutches, Yep. If I run it through a Giro, it's much easier to run. than like I say. I take an ASAP or something and clip it up in, ahead of my control descent devices and run that off of my sternal. Yep. Then all of a sudden I'm meeting points. The ASAP's there truly as a backup, but I, I find it much easier to operate the control descent devices. Yeah.
1: And and, and yeah, the ASAP's running above on, on one of the lines. So yeah, yeah, that was something that was brought up as well. Um, There and then they then they were going through them they were talking about you know setting up two tension systems with maestros and you know and and clutches or whatever and you know one guy running both devices which you know that's going to help keep the tension as possible you know maybe it's a 60 40 every now and then or maybe the guy hits the sweet spot and gets a 50 50 but most likely 60 40 when you got one guy shark finning you know, two devices. But then they're like, if you're going to do that, there needs to be a tailor back there on a, you know, just in case. And I'm going like, Oh, that's interesting. I did a bunch of rescue stuff up in, uh, up in Calgary with, and I didn't have a tailor. <laughs>
0: that's just come out in the last, I don't know, call it two, three months. Okay. And, uh, I, and
1: I, I can see that. Uh, but if you're running small teams, you know, and you trust the guy on the, The ropes but i understand for sure but uh i I think it's the
0: manufacturers too they they don't want to put too far into the liability realm and like i tell people i mean we use shark finning a lot but there's times if the ropes aren't feeding incorrectly if they're twisting coming out of the bag if they're milking if there's a bunch of stuff that occurs i'll call for a tailor right away yeah, as I'm soon as you. I don't have 100% positive control, I, I'll i ask for a tailor. And I mean, I did it at Grimp, our last scenario, just the way the rope was coming out of the bag. I mean, and that's the thing about Grimp, we never got the ropes hung. And so you got brand new rope, you put it into a bag, you run it for <laughs> two days, and it's pigtailed pretty well by the end of it. You, you try to run them out the best you can, just don't have a lot of time. And as it starts to pigtail coming out, I called for Jason to start tailing the lines because... I, I needed that extra help there. And whether we break it down and each take a device and run it ourselves or I run both and he tails at that point, it's kind of six, one half dozen of the other. But I do see that in there. And I think you. it comes back to that. It's technical rescue. It's expert use, a lot of this stuff. And you have to be smart enough and skilled enough to understand when you've hit a limitation and how to fix that problem instead of just smashing through the problem and then creating a situation that could be unsafe
1: no i agree 100 because as soon as you know you're if you got pigtails on you know pretty stiff 11 mil they're gonna kick your hand off you know it's uh it's the same thing with lowering lowering off a climb especially if you're using like a grigory or something like that you know when you got a stiffer rope. Or, and you were rope. That thing starts coming through, pigtailing through your hand. It gets scary. You, you could that thing can sure. kick your hand off. um So no, I, I I can see that. But I was sitting there going like, huh, that's a good point. I could have dropped like two guys, but no, you know. So, but I get it. Yeah,
0: and I mean, yeah, uh, the, uh,
1: uh,
0: I know Pat BC SAR has been running a tailor for years, and that was with Mothner's testing and. I figured the clutch would eventually go there, just safety-wise, because they can't control. That's one thing none of you manufacturers can control, is what the end user is actually going to do in the field.
1: That is correct, and that, that, so, just like, you know, it's something when I talk about the giant with people, and, um, you know, the first thing they do is go, you know, do I have to add friction? And I'm like, honestly, just my personal opinion from me doing numerous pickoffs with guys that weigh 230 and I weigh 165 pounds, I've had no problem controlling dropping seven stories with no added friction. But I forgot about added friction and I t- picked some guys off with no added friction and got to the ground. I'm like, wow, that was smooth. Oh, no added friction. But that was my own mistake because I'd forgotten about it, but we recommend added friction just because it's kind of a liability thing. You know, you should add the added friction. I know that, uh, you know, I think that, uh, that I know with ISC, they're like, no, you don't need added friction on the D four. And they're just going that direction. Um, and I think the clutch maybe might be the same way. I can't remember. We kind of talked about that. At yeah.
0: There's no added friction on the clutch.
1: That's what I thought that you need, need it for the clutch. And I'm like, you know, you don't need it with a giant because I've done, I did multiple pickoffs with big guys uh, with it back in the summer uh, in some classes, and I had no problem controlling it easily. But we do recommend it just because it seems to be kind of a liability industry standard to just say, hey, add the friction. Um, but uh, again, it's just, um, you know, you kind of kind of have to play by the rules and be in compliance uh,
0: yeah. And I mean, I tell people that all the time, follow the manufacturer's instructions, but when it comes to added friction, if you can't control the load with what you consider to be an acceptable level, then add a carabiner.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, it's, if you got live loads and you're one of them, you need to do what you need to do to, to be safe and, you know, yeah. you get to, you know, uh, and when you're in a competition, you kind of like, Hey, I want to go fast. Um, and you have to kind of there's that fine line between safe and fast, as you as you know, because you guys are in comps all the time, Um, you know, but it's uh I still have to kind of like, oh, I really don't need it. But, yeah, I need to add the friction. and, I, and A lot of times my rest, my rescue victim's like, don't forget to add the friction, Jack. I'm like, we're only 10, we're only 20 feet off the ground. I got a giant, man. That thing is like I can I can break this giant with my baby finger and lower us to the ground. You know? Yeah. But yeah. You got to play by the rules.
0: So any rate, we're uh, pushing just over an hour here. So um, I think we're going to ring this one off. It was great chatting with you. Have you uh, got anything else that you want to add to this?
1: No, we're good. I, I really appreciate uh, you hitting me up for the podcast. And um, it's always good talking to you. And I'm looking forward to uh, hanging out with you guys somewhere soon over trainings and, you know, a, a good uh, a good whiskey.
0: Sounds good.
1: All right, Mark, stay safe, man. You too. All right, brother, bye.